Hello, you're listening to Meet the Locals, an insider's guide to British Airways destinations, where locals give you the lowdown on what to do, what to see and where to go in their city. My name's Heidi Fullerlove, and today we're going to meet the locals in the beautiful British Airways destination of Cyprus. But before we meet the locals, here are some fast facts. Fast fact number one, British Airways flies to the two airports of Larnaca and Paphos and the flight takes just under four and a half hours. Fast fact number two, renowned for its silk sand beaches and balmy waters, family-friendly Cyprus also offers plenty of adrenaline activities, including some of the world's best wreck diving sites, hiking and caving in the wild Trudos Mountains and all kinds of water sports. Fast fact number three, Grapes have grown on Cyprus for some 6,000 years, and the island is renowned for its wines. Ones to try include the syrupy Cypriot Commandaria, but also you should try the Tsangeridis Mataro and the Colias Shiraz. And finally, fast fact number four. Cyprus is known as the Island of Love, or Aphrodite's Island, because according to Greek mythology, the flirty mischievous goddess, who is also known as Venus, was born out of the sea foam here. And here's a useful tip. If you do find Aphrodite's rock, Petra to Romeo, near Limassol, and you swim around it, legend says that you'll stay forever young. I check into the Hotel Palm Beach Larnaca in late afternoon. It's nearly Christmas, but the temperatures are a balmy 20 degrees centigrade. I'm off to meet local-born Vasiliki Zamba, who's going to take me to see her beloved city of Larnaca. I live in Larnaca, so I love Cyprus. I think it's one of the most beautiful places in the world. My little island, 10,000 square kilometers. Two communities, Greek and Turkish Cypriots. We are driving through the Kelia, one of the two British military bases in Cyprus, established after the independence of the year 1960. What are we seeing here? Because on one side we've got the beach, and on one side there's kind of barbed wire and uh, chainmail fences. By the independence in the year 1960, kept the British 160 square miles of bases, sovereign bases. But the city was inhabited both by Greeks and Turks. So, 1974, the Turkish Cypriots left the uh, city and they moved to the north part. So what happens is that their houses left empty, so refugees from the north part living in the houses of the Turkish Cypriots uh, uh, in Lanaka. But they are, as they were built, we only restore them. So the city has two faces, and when we go up on the on the first floor of the castle, you will see the modern side of the city with the palm trees, beaches, and in the other part of the city, that there were Turkish Cypriots living, and the houses are old, left as 1974. So all this area are the area where Turkish Cypriots were living, and that's why all the streets they have uh, Turkish names. Haji Omer Street, Turkish. And then once the, the area where the Turkish Cypriots were living is, is it's over, then we are in the in the heart of the city. And there to the right, it starts the, the seafront with the palm trees. It has a very important strategic position in the Mediterranean. 
Once they occupied the island during the Ottoman period, the end of the 19th century, end of the 16th century for 300 years, the taxes were very heavy. So many Greeks in this island decided to change into to change religion and be Muslims, be Turks, so as to be free of paying taxes. So many Turkish Cypriots could they go to the churches. And the question is, when you looked at them, they we look like each other. A lot. So are they Turks or are they Greeks turn into Turks? According to our constitution, both languages are official languages of this island because there are two communities, the Greek Cypriots and the Turkish Cypriots. So I said, I have to learn the language. It is not so difficult because through the years, the 400 years the Turks were here, end of the 16th until the end of the 19th century, it was uh, the Turks were ruling the island. It was the official language. So we adopted in our dialect a lot of Turkish words. Like we adopted a lot of Italian words because the, the, the Venetians from Venice they were here for 100 years because we have French words in our dialect because the, 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 the dynasty of Guy de Lusignan, they were here for 100 years. In school we speak Greek, but then at home we speak our dialect. We head for Avgoro Herbal Garden where founder Miranda Tringis is waiting for us in the park's delightful herb-scented tea room. Had a vision for um, bringing back people to traditional uh, Cyprus herbal remedies for their health and well-being. Because we had found miraculous healing with herbs in our own lives. Uh, Our daughter, who had um, immunity problems when she was very young, she uh, was given many pharmaceutical drugs uh, by doctors, which only depleted her immune system even more. Until by the age of four, she was so weak, I had to take her out of uh, preschool because she couldn't be in contact with other kids in case they were carrying a virus or something. She would catch everything. Mm. And I found that by simple garden herbs, by using simple garden herbs such as thyme, sage, uh, peppermint and rosemary, we could combat these respiratory infections and issues and strengthen the immune system at the same time. And then slowly I saw her getting better. And I have seen many other healings with the herbs of Cyprus uh, ever since and as people come to me to, uh, to find solutions to their health issues. There's something about Cyprus that gets under your skin and every expat will tell you this. Whether or not they're married to a local uh, there's something about Cyprus. It's a magical place. It's just so beautiful. The people are fantastic. Um, the nature here, the way of life. When when you get off work, you can just go to the beach. Or everybody goes out. You go and have a coffee. You go and have a meal. We have this outdoor living. And that is really, really pre- precious. Mm-hmm. Also, family life is central in Cyprus and core values of family life and and, and sticking close together and being there for one another. That's the Cypriot way of life. Leaving Miranda's sweet-smelling park, our trip takes on a more solemn note as we head out on the wide modern road for Famagusta. We drive to the hilltop to visit the cultural centre, which has an interactive exhibition with videos and photos telling Famagusta's history. And then I use binoculars to gaze out at the modern ghost city spread out below. 
you can see the new part. You see the whole yes, the new the, but then you can see the ghost city because it's left. I mean there are trees in the streets, abundant, you can see the difference. It's like stayed as it was in forty five years now. You cannot see the trees the streets any longer. Heading back to the bustle and life of the busy resort of Ayanapa, we stop off to see the city's open-air sculpture museum, which has dozens of large artworks scattered across a vast stretch of land with spectacular views over the resort's sparkling bay. When we arrive, there's a work in progress. Uh, my name is Viktor Kopach. I am sculptor from Belarus. I have three sculptures. This is mother and child. This is an uh, antique dream and circulation in the nature. This is my first time in Cyprus. I'm finished with the Russian Academy of Arts. Tomorrow I will return at home, it will be snow, so it's nice to be here. Yeah. A guide from the local tourist office explains about the park. We are looking at the sculpture park of Ayanaba. Currently we have on display more than a hundred uh, sculptures from all over the world and they are working intensively for more than 20 days. We have captors from Chile, from New Zealand, from England, from Germany, Belgium, all over the world, India, Australia, from all over the world. They come in November and uh, beginning of, of spring. Well, by now, and after walking around that huge park, I'm as hungry as a horse. Which is just as well, since my next stop is the Hungry Horse Restaurant in Ayanapa, where I'm meeting George Costas, who tells me more about what I'm going to eat today. 90% of the menu is Cypriot food, so we have one old lady now. She does all the, the casseroles and all the pulses, dishes in the oven, anything to do with Cypriot foods. It's all homemade and she makes it. Cypriot cuisine, we have, of course, uh, as you know, Cyprus has been through hell with people invading all the time. Because of our location, small island, they think, oh, we have this. So we'll have uh, all sort of different uh, impact into our cuisine. The older generation, they used to try to make food and didn't need so much preserving. For example, pork afella is pork, pork pieces where it's cooked in wine and coriander. Most of the things, they used to be fried and then put it in the casserole. Say, when we do fasolagis, uh, pork and green beans, they used to fry it to seal all the juices inside and then... Uh, they will put it with a sauce so it can marinate in the sauce and cook slowly, slowly. In pizzelli, peas with pork or chicken, but we put carrots in as well. And sometimes when it's the artichoke uh, time, we put artichoke as well. So it's like a dish itself. We have the beans. You have baked beans. We have the cannelloni beans. We're either going to have them boiled with carrot, celery, and then we put olive oil on and lemon. The dish you're going to try today, kolokasi, is a type of sweet potato. The texture is more like a meaty. Today we have it with fried in wine and uh, red wine. Red wine. All the cooking in Cyprus is red wine. Our halloumi cheese is like Coca-Cola. You have it grilled, you have it fried, you have it for breakfast, you have it for lunch, you have it for dessert. Because halloumi goes with everything. <laughs> 
It's basically simple homemade food. After a gargantuan meal of Cypriot specialities, I stagger off to see Ayanapa's fascinating Thalassa Museum, where they have full-size replicas of antique ships, interactive exhibitions about history of the island, and a whole room full of stuffed sea animals. Then it's back to the car where guide Neo Ptolemos, who prefers to be known as Nemo, is waiting to take me to visit a mountain village with an intriguing history. It is believed that Leonardo da Vinci went to Lefkara during the Venetian period, of course. He got an embroidery and brought it to Duomo in Italy. There are two parts of Lefkara, Pano and Cato Lefkara. Cato Lefkara was inhabited only by the Greeks, while Pano Lefkara, the upper part of the village, was inhabited by the Greeks and Turks. For this reason, there is the Church of the Holy Cross for the Greek Orthodox, and there is also a mosque for the Turks. We walk along winding cobbled streets to meet Demosthenes Ruvis. Our shop here is the last shop in all over the island, where you find only original stuff. It's very difficult to keep and preserve the tradition. It's more embroidery, it's Irish linen and Belgian linen, and we use cotton thread from uh, France and Greece. Those are the traditional materials. My grandfather used to sell embroidery in Europe. What happened with the people of the village? Actually, beginning of the 20th century, they've started traveling abroad in order to sell their products. The conditions were very difficult because they couldn't speak foreign languages or whatever. And there are articles of newspapers in 1924 and uh, which writes about some villagers from uh, Cyprus, from Lefkara. They were bringing income into the country, 400,000 pounds, which was a huge amount of money. In the village, we have characteristics of the European culture, let's say, 20s, 30s, not in the 40s because it was the Second World War, so all of them, they came back, and they continue, 50s, 60s, 70s. It's a very expensive material, but it lasts a lifetime. It's all geometric. They're both sides uh, symmetrical, like the margarita, the mosaic, uh, for hand, made. It's amazing because... To be both sides the same is something very, you know. And as I said, it's added in the UNESCO list of intangible heritage since uh, 2009. From ancient crafts to ancient inhabitants, we head to agritourism project Our House, a comfortable rustic-style bed and breakfast in the village of Vavla. Here the table groans under the weight of a typical local brunch, which was made for me by owner's wife, Donna Marie. After marrow flowers stuffed with cracked wheat, spicy meatball cheftelia, and of course the local halloumi cheese, 82-year-old owner George Pavlou shows me around. I left the village in 1952. We have no roads, we have no electricity, we have no toilets in the house, we have to go out in the fields to do it. <laughs> we have nothing, no shower, no nothing. We have to. I come here, I left in 52. I come in 1962 for the first time to visit my parents and I put electricity in the house and the toilet in the house. (laughs) In Limassol, we sit out on the seafront lined with bubbling fountains and lively cafes and Nemo tells me about Cypriot beers, Kiyo and Leon. 
Then we head for Nicosia, also known by its Byzantine name, Lefkosia. Our first destination on the following day is the CVAR, the Centre of Visual Arts and Research Museum, where I meet owner and curator Rita Severus. Well, I was a compulsive collector, let's put it this way. A lot of... I, I loved the idea of travellers to Cyprus and how they saw the island, so I started collecting paintings. Uh, people got to know me networking in Europe and so anything that had to do with Cyprus I was notified uh, costumes, memorabilia, whatever and once there was no room in my house and I realised that this collection was telling a story and a rather important story about Cyprus I thought that I couldn't keep it anymore I had to share it what is the story that it's telling about? Well, it's the story of how s- uh, the travellers to the island saw us and how they perceived our history. Piece by piece, like a jigsaw puzzle, you get the whole of the island. I mean, we started over 30 years ago, and now it is perhaps the biggest, uh, it's the biggest collection in the world on travelling artists to the island. So before you had the museum, these were all stored in your house? Yes, <laughs> and I think my husband was ready to throw me out of the house. <laughs> I mean, he would look for his suit. Where is my suit? Why isn't it in my cupboard? Because I'm using it for the costumes of the museum. <laughs> so you're still collecting? I'm trying. Are there any items that are really your favourite pieces in the whole museum? Yes, there's some that are my favourite pieces. I try not to point them out. At the end, of a government house there was always a desk with a red ink pot for the archbishop to sign in the red ink this was his prerogative when he visited the governor so we have here the desk with the red ink pot and we have there the pieces of the Union Jack that were left after the burning of government house in October 1931 when Greek Cypriots marched to government house to protest against new taxa- heavy taxation and, and they burnt government house. And out of the rubble and the ashes, somebody picked up three pieces of the last Union Jack that was flying there yeah. and those are those. If you hadn't have collected these things... They would have gone. Them. I love this island. You were born here? Yes, I was born here, although I did travel a lot and lived in England for quite a while and in the States and in Greece. I wanted to share this love. I don't think there are many islands like us. Um, and on the other side here, you see the dervishes. Yes. Now, they were a sect that were thrown out of Turkey in 1924 by Kemal Atatürk. Well, they found refuge in Syria and Cyprus. And in Cyprus, they whirled, they're the whirling dervishes, at the Mevleviteke in uh, North Nicosia. They still do. They come twice a year from Konya, and I'm talking about the real dervishes. But the real dervishes come twice a year, every March and December, to Nicosia, and they were at Mevlanateke in honor of the 29 dead leaders that are buried in the Teke. Looking into our archives, you would be surprised the number of these settlements that we had in Cyprus, be they exiles, be they slaves, be they dervishes, be they Circassians, Dukobors, Jews, you name them, they passed from Cyprus. <laughs> and this museum works for peace and reconciliation. This is why we're the only bicommunal museum in Cyprus. We have Turkish Cypriots on our board, 
and we are the only museum in, on the island that has everything written in Greek, Turkish and English. Outside once more, little Nemo is waiting to show me Nicosia. 100 meters away on the right hand side, it's the palace of the Archbishop and the Cathedral of St. John, full of frescoes. On the right hand side here, there is part of the aqueduct of Nicosia. And now we'll go to the center of Nicosia. You can find many shops, restaurants, cafes like that. Lidra Street is where there is the checkpoint. So you see a lot of people moving around. Among the people there are even Turks who are coming to visit our area during the day. There is a lot of nightlife here in our site. So a lot, a lot of Turks are coming here to spend the evening. They call it Green Line because a long time ago in 1963, when the United Nations, uh, when the United Nations arrived in Cyprus to be in between the Greeks and the Turks, somebody from the United Nations with a green pen wrote, mark where the Turks were. Since then they call it like that. So this is Lidra Street. We are now two, five meters away from the checkpoint of Lidra Street. You are going to see that it's not like before that there were the soldiers. Just the customs here. Very easy to pass from one side to the other like that. Very easy, yes. As you see now, all these tourists, they are moving to the checkpoint to go there. There is a cafe here. See the cafe there? Next to it, there is the buffer zone. See the sacks there with the sand? And you can see the buffer zone. Recently, they started renovating the buffer zone in between the Greeks and the Turks. Since 2003, we can move from one side to the other, and they started renovating also the area. Far from Nicosia's fun but frenetic streets, we head for Omodos. Omodos is surrounded by the vineyards that provide the grapes to make that famous Cypriot wine. Of course, there are plenty of places around the village where you can taste the wine, but we're here at George's Bakery to taste something else. I'm Christy from George's Bakery. I'm George's wife. <laughs> we have this small bakery in the village. And here in the village, we do a special bread, Arcateno. Arcateno is this round bread. First of all, chickpeas to prepare the yeast. And then we add it in the in the pastry, in the dough, we added cinnamon, nutmeg, and mastic. Um, shishuko, we, we do a, a special cream, like a jelly cream, from uh, juice of grapes. And we added uh, corn flour and uh, flour, make the cream and the dipped nuts, uh, like almond or walnuts. And it's nice with a glass of wine or with the zivania, the Cyprus uh, schnapps. And also the halloumi bread. We forget the halloumi bread. That's the halloumi bread. You see, you will find more, more and more uh, things that you will like. Weighed down with goodies from George's Bakery, we stop off to see the spectacular Caledonia waterfall, and then it's time for some music. 
We lunch at the Macrinari Tavern in the centre of the village, where Polykornos, who has owned the taverna for the past 30 years, also plays bazooki. After the delicious lunch, we head further into the Trudus Mountains to Platres, which has a long history and is today renowned for its lavender, which is used to make everything from perfume to very tasty lavender cakes. It's like finding yourself in an alpine village with birds singing in dense pine trees, sheep's bells tinkling high in the mountains and charming colonial-style houses. I check into the pretty chalet-style Semiramis Hotel, then stroll along Platris's leafy main street to meet Mr Panayotis, president of the Platris community, who is going to tell me about the village where he was born. Platris is one of the most famous uh mountain resorts of uh, Cyprus. It used to be the leading in the tourist industry 100 years ago, and that it was because of British. British, they decide, after, of course, we passed from the Ottoman Empire to the British Empire in 1978, they decide in 1979 to choose Platres and the square you have been before mm-hmm. as a main uh, station for controlling the mountains. So that it was means asphalt road from Limassol to Platres which is the first, to bring everything they need. Then, a water network from the springs to bring the water down to the village, uh, telephones and post office. Uh, and um, you can see the multiculture of the village because even even from the name of the hotels, mm-hmm. we start with Pafsilipon, there was um, Grand Hotel, there was Gran Elvetia, there was Monte Carlo, it was uh, Splendid Hotel, Calithea, Minerva, Endelweiss, Semiramis, Forest Park Hotel, which it was 70 rooms, 1936, mm-hmm. with an Israeli architecture, very famous one, and it was the biggest and the best in Cyprus again. So then Princess Mary was there for holidays on 1936. So immediately when it's open, a new one, then the royal family comes again here in Platres. And it was the one that also in 1938, um, Daphne de Murier, she finished Rebecca, the famous novel there. She was inspired from the uh, surroundings and the terrace outside. And she was blocked in Egypt. The, the husband was in the military officer in Egypt in the British Army. Mm-hmm. And they came here for holidays. So uh, she was inspired and finished this famous uh, novel in Platras. George Seferis, that he get the literature of, uh, the Nobel of Literature in 1963. Mm-hmm. And he write about uh, Platras that the nightingales wouldn't let you sleep. Well, if you want to hear the nightingales sing in Platras Square, you'll just have to fly British Airways to Cyprus. You've been listening to Meet the Locals. Remember to look out for Meet the Locals guides to other destinations on your next British Airways flight.